And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You, a show about all the ways in which you and me connect as we, capital W, and what that means for all of us, capital U. I am your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. Find out more about me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com, and on my social media feeds at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me rather easily. Would love to chat with you, hear your thoughts about the show, get some ideas for future ones, and pretty much talk about whatever you'd like to talk about. So, welcome to episode 50, 5 It's kind of an accomplishment. I'm excited about that. For December 20th, 2021. And uh, it is the week of Christmas coming up. Or actually, it is now, isn't it? Man, it got here fast. Um, and so I am going to talk a little bit about uh, the holiday today. And uh, but the title of today, uh, today's show is called the Sanyasi Santa, the Sanyasi Santa. And if you don't know what a Sanyasi is, you will uh, by the end of this show. And I'll be happy to uh, happy to tell you more about it. Uh, so another reason for you to stick around. Uh, the haiku for today goes like this to give you an idea of where we're going to give forgiving, to love others as they are touches the divine to give forgiving to love others as they are, touches the divine. All right. So uh, I'm excited about today's show. I'm excited about it every week. I th- um, and uh, yet this one feels even more so I think, today. Uh, before I get there, though, I want to make sure I thank uh, the show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, uh, who have just been amazing um, in the few months that they've sponsored this show. And uh, they are a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area, that provides life and career pathways for underserved youth in aviation and aerospace. And they do that through a combination of their own in-house programs that they can do on-site or virtually, but also by facilitating uh, relationships with corporate entities, with educational institutions, um, with other nonprofits, you name it, and also providing wraparound services uh, for students, their families, and the community to help these students become even better advocates for themselves, to be uh, to have healthier lives, to strengthen their families, strengthen their communities. And uh, it is really amazing work. And if you haven't had a chance to check them out yet, please do and visit airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or you can reach out for them uh, to inf- for information directly from them via email at info at airsci.org. And uh, this week's show is going to be about giving. It's going to meander a little bit, but it's about giving and it's about giving from a place where we see other people as they are, not for how we want them to be or what we can get from them or anything like that. And it's one of the things I love about um, Airway Science for Kids work is that they see the kids they work with for who they are and find ways to give to them uh, that helps them but also empowers them. And it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why I feel so connected to that organization uh, and it's one of the reasons why I'm excited about today's show, because I want to branch off of that idea to talk a little bit about uh, Christmas. Now, it is Christmas week for all those who celebrate that. And I certainly uh, grew up celebrating Christmas. My longtime listeners of the show know my dad is a, a Lutheran pastor. And so I grew up in that Christian tradition. And I realized that not a lot of people necessarily, not everybody celebrates Christmas. But this this show is is for anybody. Uh, and it's not just because it's about Christmas. Uh, and just to sort of put myself out there as well, I'm not I'm not a big war on Christmas guy. Like there's a war on Christmas going. I don't. First of all, I don't think that's true. And 
second, um, <laughs> it's not as if Christmas was the first uh, this first celebration of winter and rebirth and all these things to ever exist. Uh, you know, it's matched up with sol- solstice for a reason, and that's that's another story for another day. Uh, but one of the things that I love about Christmas, besides the besides the story, the biblical story of Jesus's birth and all that was meant to represent and the hope and the peace and the connection between God and humanity. I love all of that. Uh, but I also love the example of Santa Claus. Now I can hear certain people's eyes. I can almost sense them, people's eyes rolling or whatever, but I want you to just bear with me here because one of the reasons why I think Santa Claus is so popular, even though Santa has become increasingly secular over time, is there is still on some level in most everybody a spiritual connection to what Santa Claus has come to mean that goes back to its origins, its biblical origins, but particularly its origins in St. Nicholas. Uh, St. Nicholas, of course, was a third century Catholic saint, uh, the patron saint of children, as it turned out. And uh, I want to start there. So uh, as I like to do, I want to give a little bit of a history of of St. Nick and Santa Claus and giving and then kind of take you where where I, I want it, want this to be. And, of course, I won't forget to tell you what a sannyasi is, so bear with me. But uh, the Santa Trition is often connects back to St. Nicholas. And St. Nicholas lived in the 3rd century, was born in the late 3rd century, uh, in what is uh, modern-day Turkey. And he gave to children and the needy without thought. And that was really what he was known for. He was known for his piety uh, and his unending kindness uh, towards others. Uh, and so there were many, many stories at the time and since uh, celebrating that and seeing him as really the example of divine giving. And that was the idea. And there's a famous story uh, attributed to him where he once saved three poor sisters from being sold into slavery or prostitution by their father because he couldn't afford to keep them uh, by providing, St. Nicholas did, a dowry for each of them so that they could be married instead. And that became one of the most famous stories of St. Nicholas for centuries. Um, So much so that in later centuries, the anniversary of his death, December 6th, became considered a day of great luck and of blessing. So many weddings, for example, were held on December 6th. Uh, If you wanted to make big purchases or big changes in life, doing so on December 6th was, uh, was a good thing to do. And so it became that also that day, celebrated for hundreds of years. By the time we got to the Renaissance, right, so 1400s, 1500s, uh, he was maybe the most popular saint uh, in all of Europe. And even after the Reformation began, and even the Reformation, the Lutherans, the, 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 uh, the Dutch Protestants, were pretty anti-venerating saints, St. Nicholas was still so popular that he hung on in some Protestant traditions as well. And the Dutch in particular held on to him. And uh, I think because of that kindness, that giving, that sort of divine connection that people establish with him. And he took on a lot of different looks uh, and, and versions of him kept getting modernized. People do that, right? We, we modernize old stories to help them make sense in the present. And people have been doing that forever with anything, not just with St. Nicholas. Uh, so over time, of course, in Germany and Switzerland, uh, the Santa figure became uh, Christkind. In England, it was Father, it's Father Christmas. In Scandinavia, there was a version of him. Uh, I'm going to pronounce it poorly. Jules Tomten was a kind of a giving elf uh, who gave gifts. Uh, Père Noël in France. La Bafana in Italy. 
Uh, these are all variant versions of this giving person, this saint, who uh, arrives every year at Christmas. Um, in the United States, it was St. Nick was introduced in the 1770s by the Dutch, who had, of course, a colony in what is now New York City. And he was introduced, St. Nicholas was uh, Santa in this sense, um, into what is now New York City. And in 1804 uh, was the first known commemoration of St. Nicholas in the city when uh, a local historian made wood cutouts that had everything, like the view of, of Santa, the fireplace with the full stockings, all those kinds of things. Uh, that was the first known commemoration of him, 1804 in New York. And then in 1809, the famous writer Washington Irving uh, first referred to him as the patron saint of New York in his book, The History of New York. And that popularized uh, Santa immensely, although he wasn't dressed in what we normally associated with him now. He was wearing really flamboyant Flemish tights and things like that. All that came later. In the 1820s, believe it or not, Christmas shopping was first advertised in U.S. publications, the 1820s, <laughs> right? Uh, it's kind of in our DNA, I guess. Um, and in 1822, in what was turned out to be really important for the creation of the modern idea of Santa, uh, an Episcopal minister of all people named Clement Clark Moore wrote a, uh, a story that you all know. "'Twas the night before Christmas." And it did more than anything to shape our modern image of Santa. It was, it was in this story that first presented St. Nick, Santa, as a jolly old elf, as a portly figure, the one who could come down the chimney supernaturally, who flew from house to house in a sleigh pulled by reindeer, leaving presents for deserving children. Everybody thinks that that existed before that book. It didn't. The book made that exist. That's interesting. The book was hugely popular, printed all over the place. And you combine all this together, as time goes by, it all begins to, <laughs> dare I say, snowball. 1840s, newspapers had separate sections for Christmas shopping ads in the 1840s. In 1841, a statue of Santa was first visited by children in Philadelphia, establishing that tradition of taking your kids to see Santa to find out what they want. And several decades later, in 1881, a political cartoonist named Thomas Nast in uh, Harper's Weekly drew a political cartoon that was really the first illustration of the likeness of Santa that we associate in the United States with him today. Big, jolly, red outfit, white beard, the North Pole, the workshop, the elves, Mrs. Claus. It's quite an active cartoon. You can look it up, Thomas Nast, and you'll see that. That's where all of that was really born. And because it was in Harper's Weekly, everyone saw it, right? It was a national publication. So that was in 18, uh, 1881. Ten years after that, in 1891, the Salvation Army, who was running low in New York City and elsewhere on getting food to distribute uh, to the needy, uh, sent people out in Santa outfits to collect donations. And that was the first time those Santas ringing the bell, collecting donations ever appeared on American streets. And of course, it's been a standard ever since. The Macy's uh, Day Parade, the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, first featured Santa on its very first uh, occasion, 1924. And um, in 1934, another big thing, it was the night before Christmas was establishing a lot of these things. In 1934, a song became very famous. You also know this one, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And that helped set the traditions like cookie, leaving cookies and milk out for Santa. A naughty and nice list. Kids needing to be deserving to get gifts and they get coal for not deserving. Which, by the way, that seems just so American, by the way, Right. <laughs> you better deserve it if you're going to get it. And if you don't, you get coal. And of course, 
as one smart uh, kid once said to me, what if I don't have any heat and I get coal? Then I'll, you know, I'll actually be, a, that'll actually be good. So, yeah, smart kid. Nevertheless, that set a lot of those things that we consider to be, trans, uh, to, to be traditions, a song. In 1939, right, not long after that, uh, a book called Red, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was written by Robert May, who was a copywriter at the time from Montgomery Ward's department store, and he wrote it to try to get people to come into the store to do more shopping. And he selected a rhyme pattern similar to Twas the Night Before Christmas for a reason. And, uh, I mean, it's theme about, you know, Rudolph having this liability that could actually be an opportunity under the right circumstances really resonated with people. In 1939, in the midst of a depression, it sold half a million copies in the United States alone. And in 1946, after the war, when it was reprinted for the first time, it sold 3.5 million copies in the Christmas season. And then, of course, 10 years later, or just a few years later after that, uh, Johnny Marks, one of May's buddies, made a song about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And that just blew up, right? (laughs) Eventually, the song and the book were translated into dozens of languages. A popular uh, animated movie was created in 1964. Of course, all that. So all these traditions built over time. And, of course, I should mention uh, the 1947 film Miracle on 34th Street, the original, starring Natalie Wood, a very young Natalie Wood as, as the girl, and, and Edmund Gwen as, uh, as Santa. And Edmund Gwen won the Academy Award that year <laughs> for that role, uh, to sh- just to show you how popular it was. And that film, more than anything else, pulled all those things together that I just described and gave us that modern view of Santa and challenged and presented the idea of Santa as a symbol of what is the best part of all of us. Okay, so with the history lesson portion there, let's let's talk a little bit about how we could pull this together into some meaning today. And to do that, I want to talk about the remake first of A Miracle on 34th Street uh, from 1994. I actually prefer the remake. I realize that's, you know, some people think that's sacrilegious, but I love the remake in 1994, starring Sir Richard Attenborough as Santa. And the reason why I love that is a number of things. It's, it's got all the sentimentality. It's got all, certainly all the commercialization. It's got all of that. Um, and it's based around this, this absurd level of miracles that happens uh, because this little girl who doesn't necessarily believe in Santa asks Santa for the thing that <laughs> would only be possible if he really were Santa. And the story is, is he going to deliver or not? But there's one scene in the Richard Attenborough version that I watch every single year, even if I don't watch the entire movie, which I don't always. And uh, it's a scene where where Richard Attenborough as Santa is in the Coles department store meeting kids, as he's supposed to do. And a woman brings her daughter up to him and tells Santa that the little girl is deaf and she sits on his lap. And the scene is so powerful because Santa and the woman, the mom says, you don't need to say anything to her. She just wanted to see you. And so this little deaf girl is sitting on Santa's lap and he, he gives this long look at her. And then to her absolute delight, he speaks to her in, Amer- in ASL, in American Sign Language. And not only does he speak to her, he finds out her name and what she wants for Christmas. They sing jingle bells together and sign, which is amazing. And uh, it's just an incredibly beautiful scene, not because... It's this deaf girl and let's feel sorry for the deaf girl at Christmas. It's not that. It's actually because in that moment, what I think is the best about Santa as a symbol or Santa as an image is on display. He knew exactly how to communicate with her. (laughs) He saw her, communicated with her as she could. 
And and all the other stuff, what she wanted for Christmas, all those things was completely on the side. What was most important was the connection. The connection that he had with her and her response to him. She felt seen, she felt loved, she felt accepted in what must have been for a little girl like that, a world that oftentimes wasn't. And to me, this is what makes Santa real. So I'm one of those people. If you ask me, is Santa real? Yes. He is. Not because of all the trappings or the traditions or the outfits or the candies or giving of presents, coming down the chimney, all those things. It's not all that. That's all kind of fun. And that's, as I've said before, holidays are pretty pretty modern in the sense that we we adopt what we like and what we consider to be traditional usually are the things that we've known our whole life or one or two generations have known their whole life. We call those traditional. They're anything but. They're very modern and they change over time. But for me, this is what that scene encapsulates what Santa and the spirit of this season and the spirit of giving is all about. He's real because of the giving in that sense, for the seeing, for the connecting, for the loving without expecting anything back or needing anything back. In the film, in both versions, Santa says he's a symbol of what is best in people, a reminder that they, not all need, they do not always need to be selfish <laughs> and that there are better versions of ourselves that we can tap into. And the notion is to give forgiving. Okay? Now, the Santa I've described uh, that I've described here is the real version to me, and it's combined with a story that um, a version that has really just been brand new to me. And it, and it has actually nothing to do with Santa, but this is the sannyasi part of today's show. And I was introduced to the so-called parable of the sannyasi by uh, a writer named Anthony DeMello. And Anthony DeMello, uh, he passed away in 1987, but he was a Jesuit priest originally from India. And so not only did he have uh, the strong academic skills uh, that Jesuits are known for and the willingness to challenge authority that Jesuits are known for, but he also grew up in dis- distinctly non-Western religious and philosophical traditions. And the wisdom that he brings forward and the boldness that he uses is powerful. And a lot of his books have been, um, have been very influential on me. And for some reason, even though he's been dead since 1987, he still keeps releasing books. He's like, he's like Tupac that way, <laughs> like the spiritual world. Um, and I'm not sure how that is. But uh, in his most recent book, which is called Stop Fixing Yourself, Wake Up, All is Well. <laughs> He has something called the parable of the sannyasi. And I'd like to read it to you with, with this description of Santa that I've already given you um, to kind of tell you where I think a lot of this should go, uh, certainly for me, and maybe some for us to think about. And this is how the parable of the sannyasi goes. There was a villager once in India who happens upon a sannyasi. A sannyasi is a wandering beggar who, having attained enlightenment, understands that the whole world is his home and the sky is his roof. He knows that God is his father and God will look after him. So he moves from place to place the way you and I move from one room of our home to another. I cannot believe this, the villager exclaimed to the sannyasi when their paths crossed. The sannyasi responded, what is it that you cannot believe? I had a dream about you last night, the villager said. I dreamed that the Lord Vishnu said to me, tomorrow morning you will leave the village and you will run into a wandering sannyasi. And here you are. What else did the Lord Vishnu say to you, the sannyasi asked. He said that you possess a precious stone and that should you give it to me, its value will make me the richest man in the world, the villager said. So do you have such a stone? The sannyasi rummaged through his knapsack and after a moment he pulled it out about an object. Would this be the stone you saw in your dream? The villager couldn't believe it. It was the exact same stone, a diamond as big as his fist. He held the diamond in his two hands with great care. 
Could I have this stone? He asked the sannyasi. Of course, the sannyasi said. Please take it. I found it in the forest and you're welcome to it. The villager took the diamond and went to sit under a tree on the outskirts of the village. There he held the diamond close to his heart and he experienced great joy. Now, this is the kind of joy most people feel the day they get something they really want. Have you ever stopped to ask how long that kind of joy lasts? You got the girl you wanted, right? You got the boy you wanted. You got that car. You got that degree. You're at the top of your class. You got what you thought was your dream job, right? How long does that joy last? How many seconds? How many minutes? Eventually, you grew tired of what you got, didn't you? And soon you were off looking for something else. Understanding this truth is more valuable than studying the scriptures because what is good, what, what good is it to you to study scriptures if you've not understood this? What good is it if you've not understood what it means to, to live and to be free and to be spiritual? So the villager sat under a tree all day, clutching the diamond, and he became immersed in thought. And toward evening, he returned to the place where the sannyasi was meditating, and he gave him back the diamond. I've decided that this wasn't what I was looking for, he told the sannyasi. But may I ask you to do me one more favor? What is it? asked the sannyasi. And he responded, Could you give me the inner richness that makes it possible for you to so easily give away this thing that would have made you the richest man in the world? That's the parable of the sannyasi. And I absolutely love that. And I've been thinking about it. I just read it for the first time a couple weeks ago. And I've been thinking about it as the holiday season has, has gone by. And as I've mentioned on this show before, the holidays are not always the easiest for me. I kind of go up and down emotionally. Uh, it used to be a lot worse than it is now. Uh, but I still have some of that. And yet when I think about this story and I think about the deaf girl on Santa's knee and the connection there, those stories about the problems I have or the difficulties that I have tend to ebb and they, they disappear. Because I think it brings me back by doing so, thinking of those two examples with the full historical knowledge of where Santa Claus came from and all that thing, all that reconnects me to what really matters in giving. And whether you are really religious and follow a a very Christian understanding of Christmas, whether it's more secular for you or you don't celebrate it at all, I think this is where Santa, maybe putting it together with the sannyasi, can really be instructive and helpful and a great uh, focus point maybe to ponder. We all have those jewels that we want to get. <laughs> Saw a meme the other day that joked uh, a guy about my age said, uh, this Christmas I'm celebrating the 30th anniversary of not getting the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier for Christmas. <laughs> and I wanted that aircraft carrier and I didn't get it either. So once upon a time, we have those jewels when we're kids. And of course we have those things that we want to get, all those things that DeMello mentioned, maybe the car, maybe the partner, maybe the, the job, maybe the status, whatever it might be. And those tend to, that excitement, can't really be sustained. So when we get those jewels, even when it's presented to us, over time, we might see that it isn't what we're looking for. And what is remarkable to me is not just the story of, obviously, not just the story of the villager, but that the sannyasi is so willing to give this away. He found it in the forest. He wasn't attached to it. He gave it away. And have you ever noticed that, like the sannyasi, Santa doesn't ever seem to be wanting for anything? He runs a workshop. He must have really high overhead for all those elves, right, and all the work they do, but he doesn't seem, never seems to want for anything and yet can consistently give. And I think one of the cool things about this, the spiritual connection to this, is to give of what one has, whether it's a diamond, 
in the case of Sanyasi, or a connection moment with a young deaf girl like the Santa Claus in the movie. To give means you're not really, in that sense, you're not really worrying about what you're losing. Because both that Santa version and that Sanyasi understand that what one, is, what one needs to get just simply arrives and maybe already exists. And what the problem is is that we tell ourselves stories of scarcity, stories of need, stories of if I get this one thing, things will be better, or stories that if I get this one thing, I won't have these other problems anymore. When both that Santa example I used and the Sanyasi example shows that all is well, period. And that to give is maybe one of the most natural things we can do, particularly when it comes to connecting with what really matters. Connecting with ourselves, connecting with others, particularly when we see them for who they are. The sannyasi does not judge the villager for wanting the diamond and gives him the diamond. And also welcomes him back when he brings it back and takes it back. And chances are we'll give it to somebody else again and the, the cycle will repeat. But that's what I love about all of this. Right? And though that jewel can be a lot of things. And giving can be, you know, feel both good and can feel tough. You know, if you're giving somebody something that they really want, that can feel great. But it also could be things like if you know somebody who just needs space, giving them space when they ask for it, even if you really wish they didn't need that space. I know what that feels like. <laughs> and that's tough. It feels good to give it and it feels tough to go through. And yet... It's the right thing. <laughs> if you're really giving to somebody that you care about, that's where it is because it's coming out of a place of love, of connection, of shared humanity. This kind of giving is a recognition of divine beauty, not just outside of us, but also inside of us. This kind of giving helps us see. It erases hurts and hatreds. It provides for possibility. It encourages charity. And out of that can result for everybody involved, both the giver and the person given to, gratitude. It can produce forgiveness, healing. It can be proof of love. It can be a way to let go of attachments. None of these are bad things at all and are really at the spirit of this kind of sannyasi and Santa giving that really I connect with over the holidays. So I'm hoping that this gave you all something to ponder, something to reflect on uh, this week, however you celebrate the holiday season. I hope however you do it, it's a wonderful experience. And I know for myself, I'll be cultivating some Santa and some sannyasi to the best of my ability. So until I see you next week, everyone, thanks for joining me on this episode of This Show is All About You. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin, wordsbyjdk.com. And uh, on the other side of Christmas, everyone, I'll see you. Chins up.